a great privilege and honor always to be able to stand behind the pulpit, especially here at Walridge. The message that I'm going to bring this evening, it's amazing the way that God can use the same message to apply to different churches. And the message this evening is not, as some messages, to correct a problem. It's not to instruct necessarily either, but it's to remind us and to serve as a preventative medicine. Book of 1 Timothy, chapter number 3. Stand if you found your place for the reading of God's word, if you would. We'll read two verses, verse number 14 and 15. The word of God says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Heavenly Father, as I come before you this evening, Lord, I cannot do this without you. Father, I need you, and I ask that you would take me out of your way. Cleanse me of sin, empty me of self, and fill me with your spirit, I pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Churches all around our nation are a dime a dozen. We we drive down the streets of what has predominantly been through the years a Christian nation, and we are blessed to see so. We are blessed to see churches on every corner that at one point they preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think in years back of how I could hear the stories of men and women going out into the streets, running and telling the people that they must repent or else they would likewise perish. We live in a nation where much has been made of Christ, where we have had the privilege and responsibility of sending missionaries out all over the world with the gospel to see those that do not know the Savior come to Christ. Yet in these days, there's much religion, but little Christianity. We have come to the point in our society that we are no longer a Christian nation. We are a post-Christian nation, much as Britain has been for many years now. We have arrived at that place as well. You look around, and I realize many are sick this evening, but you look back over three years, and you can see a decline even here. But in nearly every church across our nation that preaches the gospel, you can see a steady decline, not only in attendance, but in faithfulness of God's people. You can look around as those churches that preach a health and prosperity gospel to where if you come to Christ, you'll get the $3 million mansion, you'll drive a Lamborghini every day. When they preach that, people flock to them. The churches that resemble rock concerts have no trouble filling their doors. And yet the preacher that was dare to stand behind the pulpit and proclaim, thus saith the Lord, cannot seem to find more than a handful of people to gather together to hear what God has to say. People will talk like a Christian. They'll put on a show. And yet at the end of the day, in their lives, you can see no difference between them and a lost person. There's many different types of churches. You look around as you drive and you see different types. You see the Presbyterians, you see the Lutherans, you see the Methodists, you see the Baptists. You'll see three Baptist churches sitting next to each other. Brother Toby and I were talking once when we were preparing to start the church down in South Knoxville, talking about an Eskimo, selling ice to an Eskimo. And many times, that's what it seems like it is like when we're trying to invite people to come to church. There's such an abundance of churches, particularly here in the South, in the Bible Belt, to where, why should we pick your church over any other? What's so special about your church? 
You look at some churches and they're lively. There's always something going on. The doors are always open. There's always cars in the lot. There's always something going on in that church. And then you look at other churches and you might have 10 or 15 people and the youngest person there is 63. Dead as a doornail. You look at some churches and it's only minority people, perhaps a Spanish church or a Korean church, especially if you're up towards Washington, D.C. or a bigger city. And then you see some churches that they just have absolutely beautiful buildings and no one ever steps inside the door of them. And then you see some churches, they're much like this church, good facilities, a handful of people that love the Lord and they come Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night. Some churches, everyone is dressed in a suit and a tie. Other churches, more again, more like ours, they're a little bit more laid back. But what is it the church is supposed to be like? The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy here, he said that thou mightest know how thou oughtest to behave in the house of the Lord. Many times, we don't think about the way that we're supposed to behave in church. We've, we've grown up in church in many of our cases. We've known from a young age how to sit there and listen to the word of God, to say amen when the preacher says something. But yet, what is it the church is supposed to be like? In a church that will honor the Lord, there is an emphasis on the word of God. Everything in the service revolves around what the Bible says. Everything about the church's ministries focuses upon the word of God. The doctrine of that church will line up with the proper interpretation of the King James Bible. There's no question about how a person would be saved inside the doors of that church because they know that there is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. The people inside the church that is right with God will be encouraged to read their Bibles, not just to leave them laying in pews every service, but to take them home, to open them up, to study the Bible, whether those things are so. It scares me when I walk inside of a church and no one has a Bible, to be quite honest with you all. Because a lot of times, what what are they learning when, when an evangelist isn't there, when a guest preacher's not there? What are they being taught? They don't have any idea of what the preacher's saying to them because they can't verify it. For many years, the Catholic Church in particular tried to keep the Word of God out of people's hands, and they still do. But the reason that it took so long for the Bible to be translated into the tongue of the common man was so that it could be hidden from them, so that they would not know the truth of God's Word. A church that honors God, a church that is behaving correctly, will encourage their members to read the word of God. In that church, God's word will have the final say. If you read a lot of church constitutions, it will have this phrase somewhere in it, that the word of God is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. Whatever God says goes, it doesn't matter what man thinks of it. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says. It doesn't even matter what the pastor says, what the word of God stands. We sing the song sometimes or hear it on the radio. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. We can take one phrase out of that. God said it. That settles it. People come to that church not to socialize, not to see each other or have a good time, even though that is a side result of it, but rather to hear the preaching of God's word and to be instructed, to be encouraged, to be given the strength to go on. In the church that is behaving correctly, there will be an emphasis on helping people. John the Baptist came to a point in his life as he was in prison preparing to be executed. 
He sent some of his disciples to Jesus. And we know the tale. How that they came. They said, are you the one that we're looking for? Are you who John the Baptist has said? Are you the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world? Or do we look for another? Are we wasting our time following you? Or are you the real deal? And Jesus said to him, go back, tell John the Baptist what you've seen. The blind see, the deaf hear, and unto the poor the gospel is preached. He put an emphasis on helping people. It's not about us, but rather about Christ and working him working through us to help those around us. The church is designed to be a spiritual hospital. So many times, again, you'll walk into these churches that are absolutely beautiful on the outside. You walk in, everything is perfectly in place, not a songbook turned around backwards or upside down. Everything's perfect. And yet, it's a mausoleum. The church's music is dry and dead. No one shouts amen. No one praises the Lord. It's just a show place. It's a, it's a mausoleum. It's a museum where you can look and see what God has done in the past. You can remember the things that he has done, even in that church. You can look back to 20 years ago when the buses were running all across the city. You can look back to when thousands were being saved as a result of its ministries. But that's just it. They're only memories. The church is designed to be a spiritual hospital. You will see someone come in in those churches and they'll sit down. Perhaps they're not wearing the best clothes. They don't look like a church member, so to speak. Perhaps the man walks in and he has a long ponytail. And then suddenly the people shame him. They, they scatter like cockroaches from a light to get away from this individual simply because he doesn't fit the environment of that church. But a church that is behaving correctly, a church that is right with God, you will see a spectrum of those that are in the walk with Christ. You will have the ones that are close to God that are dignified and sanctified and dare I say sometimes even petrified. And then you'll have those new Christians that are still zealous in their walk with God. They're just starting out. They don't know the, the church lingo. They don't understand why some people are saying amen when the preacher preaches. They don't understand why an old saint gets happy when the song is sung, it is well with my soul. But they know that they're saved. They know they're on their way to heaven and they can't wait to tell someone about it. And there should be people all across that range in the spiritual hospital of the church. The church that is focused on helping people will be a place where sinners can find grace. I remember very well the first service that my wife and I came here. Brother Toby was preaching that evening on grace. He had meant to finish the service that morning and God would not allow him because he knew that I needed it. If it hadn't been for that message, chances are we wouldn't have stayed. It's a place where sinners can find grace. It's a place where Christians can grow. They can leave behind the sins and the weights that so easily beset us. And we can run with patience the race that is set before us. It's a place where Christians grow. A place where our hearts are, our, our hearts are fed. It's not just a dead and dry place. We're instructed by the Lord to have compassion on people. The Bible says time and again how that he would look on the multitudes and he would be moved with compassion. He would see them in need of a shepherd and he would tell them you must be born again. He would meet their physical needs so that he could tell them of their spiritual need and point them to himself. Not only will there be an emphasis on the word of God and an emphasis on helping people, 
But in the church that is right with God, on the proper church, there will be an emphasis on the gospel. Every service, every event should be rotated around the central theme of seeing the lost come to Christ. There should never be a time that a church gathers together and opens the word of God and does not give an opportunity for someone to trust Christ. The entire reason that Jesus came, the reason he stepped out of the throne of glory and lived as a man was to seek and to save that which was lost. There's no greater privilege for a Christian than to give the gospel to a lost and dying world. Christ's last command before he left this earth, go ye therefore and to preach the gospel to every creature. We're called to be a witness to the Son. Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8, ye shall be witnesses unto me. And yet many times we're running and hiding scared. There is an emphasis on being Christ-like. There are many churches that they major on the minors and minor on the majors. They'll focus on the little details of the Word of God. They'll get swept up in knowing exactly how the, the little toe on the fourth beast is going to come into play during the tribulation. And yet, a sinner walks in the door, never having heard the gospel, and leaves as confused as he was before. There's an emphasis on being Christ-like. They have no care about what Christ cares about. They're only worried about how intelligent they can look when it comes to spiritual things. The Bible tells us that we are to be the ambassadors of Christ. When the world looks at us, what do they see? An ambassador goes from one land to another. We send out an ambassador as a country to represent our interest, to show what our culture is like to another nation. If we are truly the ambassadors of Christ, when the lost and dying world looks at us, what do they see? Do they see Christ living in us? Or have we gone native? We are to be more like Christ so that we can grow in Him. Too many people are interested in being like this world. The Apostle Paul spoke of them. He said, no man that warth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life. Many times I fear that we have laid aside the sword simply so that we can be tangled up in this life. So that we can love this world. There's a distinct difference between that which is holy and that which is unholy. Christ put a difference between light and darkness. And yet so many times we aren't willing to go against the grain. We're too worried about what someone will say. We're too worried about offending someone to be holy as he is holy. We're too concerned with pleasing men to please God. There's too many churches that lack in every area of that. They don't have an emphasis on any of it. It's just a social club where people can get together and tithe their time to church. And every church, even a church such as Walridge, has room to grow in at least one. We look around at our country. The Bible refers to the church here as the pillar and ground of the truth. And we look and we see that that pillar has been shaken. Churches are no longer the way that they once were. That steadfastness to God, that caring about souls, has vanished. Churches 
are in a place to where if they do fear the Lord, many of us are just, we're biding our time waiting for the Lord to come back. Just simply waiting to go home. The Bible has the question in Psalm chapter 11, verse number three, that if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The foundations crumble around our ears of our nation, of our churches, of our families. And yet we sit back in our padded pews, disinterested and turning to the one that can save us. Not only spiritually, but drawing us closer to him, repairing those breaches that have been broken down. The walls of our faith have fallen flat around us because we have not stood. In Nehemiah's day, as they rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem, they built with the, with the trowel in one hand and the sword with the other. And we got so focused, especially during the 70s and 80s, we got so focused on building churches and reaching the lost that we forgot to stand up. We forgot to instruct the next generation how to stand for the word of God. And as a result, the walls of our faith have fallen. In 2018, the number of abortions, the number of murdered children was 619,591. I can't find a more recent statistic than that, but I know that number is small compared. The Equality Act that was passed at the beginning of this year, I don't even know how many people caught it. It was slipped in under another bill to where if a preacher stands behind the pulpit, and preaches against homosexuality and dares to say that the word of God is true when it says that it is a one man and one woman, that he created them male and female, it can be considered hate speech and can be fined for it. The government still trying to tell the house of God how to operate. And thankfully, we're not seeing it as much now as we did even at the beginning of this year and particularly last year. But Brother Jack Treber out in California comes to my mind first and foremost in this, trying to tell them that they can't sing in their services, telling them they can't have church inside their building. And it's all across our nation. That's just a prime example. That's in the spotlight, so to speak. There was a church up in Canada. I believe it was Calgary, Canada, that they went in on Easter this year and shut down his service because they weren't wearing masks. Government's trying to tell the house of God how they should have their services. You have the Freedom From Religion Foundation taking over our country, and we're just sitting by and watching it happen. A congressman from the, New, from the state of New York stood in our Congress in February. You say, how, how do you know that our walls have completely fallen? His statement that he made. What any religious tradition ascribes as God's will is no concern this Congress. Those were his exact words. Our walls have fallen. We've let the enemy take over our nation. We've compromised on our beliefs. We've told people that it's okay to live in sin. There was a time 30 years ago when I can look back and even see the tail end of it when I first started going to church where if a man and a woman were living together and weren't married, they were outcasts. They were, they were loved but at the same time. It was very evident to them that they were living in sin. The preacher had no problem telling them that you are wrong for doing that. And yet now, well, thank goodness it's not a man and a man. 
We've blended the world's music into our church services. We've turned the doctrines of God's word into nothing more than mere preferences. And we've turned the standards of God's godly living into something that's to be ridiculed and mocked. And I'm talking about in churches. I'm not talking about the public school system. I'm talking about youth groups. When a young person says, I'm going to be pure until marriage, and the other teens start making fun of them. We've compromised our beliefs. We've stopped fighting. We've accepted the lie that society has told us that the church has no place in a civilized society. We've accepted the lie the church is to have no influence over government. We have been preached to so long by the secularist movement that there is to be a separation of church and state that we have forgotten that that was to protect the church, not the government. And by the way, a little side note, that's not in the Constitution if you go looking for it. It was a letter from Thomas Jefferson to a Baptist pastor as an assurance that the government would not try to interfere in the work of the church. We have accepted the lie that the church cannot thrive in these days, that it's just too hard to build a congregation, that people aren't interested in going into a shady part of town because they might be attacked. We've accepted that as a lie. We've accepted that lie as truth. We've accepted the lie that the church is an archaic system, that it's not meant for today, that it was meant to explain years ago when science wasn't there. And we've allowed that to teach into our, to teach our young people that in our schools. We've turned over our young people for indoctrination to this world. We've stopped fighting. We've decided that Christ is done. Again, we look back at the memories of what God has done in churches through the years past. And I can't help but think about what it must have been like to be in those services where thousands of people were being saved, where preachers, independent fundamental Baptists would stand up and preach the gospel, and the altar would be filled with people making decisions to come to Christ. I can't help but wonder what it must have been like in those church services on a regular occasion, not a special Sunday where you're making all efforts to bring people in, but on a weekly basis, seeing the baptistry water stirred, to see people being saved. We've decided that Christ is done, but how can we avoid this? What is it that we can do in order to have the right kind of church, to have that emphasis. Three points and I'll be finished. Number one, we can pray. The Bible tells us that you have not because you ask not. God desires to bless us. He wants his church to grow. He made us the promise that the gates of hell could not prevail against it. But the key to that is that you have to be on the offensive. A gate is a defensive measure. We're not supposed to sit back. We're supposed to be going out and occupying. Number two, occupy. Many times people will take that verse, occupy till I come. They'll say, well, that just means I sit back on my blessed assurance and I get fat and happy until Christ comes. It's a military term. One nation invades another and it's called a military occupation. Keep standing up. Keep doing what's right. As Bob Jones would have put it, do right till the stars fall. Do right till the last call. And then number last, build. If we're going to see the church grow back to where it should be, 
Not just numerically, but in standing with God. And we have to disciple those that we see come to Christ. The Great Commission is threefold. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things. A lot of churches are really good at that first point of giving them the gospel. Some churches, not as many, are good at the second part. They're getting them in and getting them baptized. But very few churches have I ever seen that are good at all three. To where once a person gets saved, they come and they get baptized. And then someone in the church takes them alongside and begins to mentor them, begins to teach them about the word of God, begins to teach them doctrine so that they can go on and repeat themselves. Ronald Reagan made the comment of freedom that we are only one generation away from losing it. The same is true of our Christian faith. I fear that my generation will be the last. Because it seems as if no one is interested anymore. How to have the right kind of church. Walridge is a good church. And I'm thankful to be a part of it. But we still have room to grow as well. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. As the musician comes to the piano. Each of us have our part to play within the church. The church is a body and the body full of members. Many times we worry about the church as a whole and pray for revival. But the key to revival is to draw a circle around yourself and ask God to get everyone inside that circle right with him. If we're going to have the right kind of church, we have to have the right kind of members. Are we willing to do what it takes? Heavenly Father, as I come before you this evening, God, I ask that you would work in hearts. Lord, anything that I should have communicated and somehow missed, I ask that your spirit would impress upon our hearts. In Jesus' name.